get what you want, you don't want it. If I gave you the moon, you'd grow tired of it soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Momus Report podcast. My name is Emmett O'Kuna, and with me is my friend from Ireland, Carol. How are you doing tonight, Carol? Not too bad, and it's afternoon, Emmett. It's afternoon. <laughs> this topsy-turvy world I live in with time zones is <laughs> really confusing for me. We have not had a show in a couple of weeks, and I've, I've suddenly been swept up in a wash of nostalgia following the end of the Hugos, because our very first podcast was about the Hugo Awards, I believe, the short fiction nominees for the Hugos, so we actually got to see who won out last week, so um, I thought we could have a little chat about that, and just the whole circumstances surrounding the Hugos this year, and then see where this conversation takes us. Sounds like a plan. Well, uh, as it happens, we... Previously, we were talking about the Best Short Story Award, and it went to The Paper Menagerie by Ken Yu from the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. Which was my favourite. Of, that of was the your last. pick. Yeah, that was your pick. I remember that. So um, that, that, that worked out quite nicely. Um, <laughs> but I also saw that E. Lily Yu won an award as just a recognition of her as a new writer on the scene. I thought that was excellent because I, I quite enjoyed her piece too. I did. I really liked her, her short story. I did enjoy it. But the problem was the other nominee for the, well, there's a number of nominees for that award, the Campbell Award mm. uh, for New Writer, was Karen Lord, who wrote one of my absolute favorite books of last year, uh, Redemption in Indigo, which yep. I heartily recommend everybody hunt down and read. Mm-hmm. So, on the one hand, I'm delighted that I did like the winner of the Campbell Award, but on the other hand, Karen Lord! She was so brilliant! Oh, well. <laughs> I, I haven't actually... What, what, what is that book? What is, what's that book about? Redemption in Indigo was Karen Lord's book. She was nominated for, I think it was the World Fantasy Award, and that's how I came across her. Mm-hmm. So I was delighted to see her on the Campbell Award ballot. And it's a, a reworking of an African folktale where essentially it's a, it is a traditional African folktale, but she takes it on in a, another direction, continues it on past the act, the end of the folktale, if you know what I mean. And it's it's and it's really well done. I'd actually love to talk to someone who knows the original because we would know, being Irish, how sometimes reworkings of our traditional <laughs> tales can be a little bit interesting <laughs> but as a as someone who doesn't know the original folk story it's just a fantastic fantastic book well done well put together and it has an unreliable narrator which is always a great uh, <laughs> pull for a story <laughs> now just looking over the other categories briefly before we move on i also saw that charlie jane anders won best novelette for six months three days and charlie jane she writes for io9.com so I thought that was quite significant. Without having read um, any of her, well, I may have read some of her u- reviews and not known it was her, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a follower of hers of io9, and I actually picked that myself as, mm-hmm. as the winner uh, when I was voting for that category. So um, I, I just genuinely thought it was the best pick of the, the bunch. Um, I, really, I really liked it. It was, it was just very well put together, very good story. And I'm delighted that it that it was that the other people who nominated got it right and agreed with me. <laughs> Maybe you just have the Midas touch. Whatever you pick seems to win. 
No, that was basically, I got three of the categories and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, Carol, you're just wrong. <laughs> but I, the thing is, I, I this is the fun part where everybody starts ranting and raving about how because what they picked didn't win, yeah. uh, the Hugos are broken. Yeah. You know, it's fundamentally flawed. And a year where what they pick wins, they're like, oh, well, I don't know what you're talking about, people who disagree with me. The Hugos is a marvelous system. It's the same with the Oscars, same with the Mercury yeah. Prize. Every every time, you know, it's always... The problem in the system is humans. <laughs> Once you put humans in any system, it just goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Well, I actually do have a bone to pick with the Hugos as it happens. Um, I mean, I, I see it as well that Game of Thrones got the best dramatic uh, presentation for long form. No surprises there because it's an excellent adaptation of the book. And it's also as a work of entertainment, it's got the public on its side. I've never mm-hmm. seen so many people read George R. R. Martin books before. Like public transportation. <laughs> I'm traveling in to uh, work in Sydney CBD each morning passing people with thick, heavy books, and they're, they've got them whoring over them in their lap, uh, reading these stories of murder and madness in this fantasy environment. I'm going, this is crazy. <laughs> Something's changed that this stuff is now popular. But I also saw that we had the category of best dramatic presentation, short form. So these would be genre shows, like Doctor Who, like Community, and that which were nominated. But Doctor Who was nominated three times. Community was nominated once. And of the three Doctor Who episodes, I'm I'm really baffled by the choices. The Girl Who Waited, I thought, was an absolutely beautiful episode. Respect, all due respect to Neil Gaiman, I actually thought it was better than Doctor's Wife. And A Good Man Goes to War, I really don't understand how that got nominated at all, because it, it, it was just this big, expansive episode of Doctor Who, and I've always preferred Doctor Who as a sort of more intimate show. But this felt wrong to me. So, whereas, again, the episode of Community, Remedial Chaos Theory, that was amazing. That was a beautiful episode. Do you have any suspicion as to why Community didn't win this one? It's it's very simple. It's because more people... Of the people who vote for Hugos, more of them have seen Doctor Who than community. It's it's you know that that simple. They will go out of their way to sit down and watch Doctor Who, and it's not just community. There's there's a good few science fiction and fantasy shows out there, mm. but it's the one that the the Doctor Who is the one that the fans of the the people who vote for the Hugos uh, go out of their way to watch, and I don't get it i mean i like doctor who don't get me wrong but there's an awful lot of good tv shows out there and it's not that the people who vote for the hugos don't also watch the sci-fi and fantasy but the this consensus is quite scattered if you know what i mean sure um you know three people will nominate a particular episode of supernatural that they like 10 people will you know nominate a particular episode of fringe um, which is not something I enjoy, but anyway. Um, whereas everybody, most of the people will have sat down and watched Doctor Who, so the consensus is there, and that's how you end up with. But although they don't agree on which episode is best, yeah. three, yeah, <laughs> they'll, 
not, you know, different people are nominating different episodes as the best ones. Mm. Um, and I, I don't see how that could change unless Doctor Who stops airing or the crowd behind Doctor Who choose to uh, decline their nomination, which can be done. Um, and having done this year's best graphic novel, last year's best na- graphic novel winner declined nomination this year, Girl Genius, because oh, they okay. won so many years in a row that they didn't want to, people to get a feeling of kind of sameness about the category and they graciously declined the nomination so that to give the category more life. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, John Scalzi, uh, who did win for, um, Best fan writer because of his blog, whatever, which is fantastic. He has, I think, on more than one occasion, declined further nominations in the category to give people who wouldn't have as much exposure as himself uh, more exposure. Because essentially that is the way that people learn about new writers is by when they come on the ballot. You you mm-hmm. go, oh, I haven't heard of them, and you seek them out. And he's rather than kind of hogging the awards when he's up for, say, best or, you know, best. Um, best novel as well he, he has declined the best fan writer nominations which is not to say i think everyone should you know go oh well i have four nominated four awards i should decline you know it's it's not you know i i i'm firmly believe that if people have nominated you to hell with it i want my hugo but um the doctor situation is getting a bit but then again everyone is very happy when doctor who wins every year so uh, i guess I guess everyone else is wrong and I'm right. <clears throat> well, so, it, was, yeah. it was a bit of a twofer. It was a bit of a twofer, really, because you had a, a win for Doctor Who. But you also had a win for Neil Gaiman. So that's a, that's a, a large cross-section of people made quite happy by a set of circumstances. But uh, as it happened, uh, Neil Gaiman went up to accept his award. And during his acceptance speech, apparently the Ustream... Uh, programming, the Ustream broadcast of the award show was cut off by DRM robots. Um, and as I've read uh, one article actually on io9 described as uh, going crazy and shooting indiscriminately into a crowd of perfectly innocent broadcasts. Which was <laughs> a beautiful phrase. Um, a very odd situation that you have an award show that is trying to reach its audience, which would be very IT literate, very sort of net savvy uh, audience, and yet to have itself uh, cut off at the knees because of a, a bot, a copyright bot, that recognizes, oh, there's footage here, and I don't have a waiver here for it, so I'm going to just cut it off right now. It's, it's, a, it's a very odd world we live in now. Yeah, Ustream are claiming that if they had been notified that the clips were approved by the broadcasters for being shown in this way, pre-approved, um, because Worldcon got permission from, you know, everybody for all of yeah, the clips that were shown. Yeah. Um, they're not puppets, you know, they, they knew this. Uh, so Ustream was saying if they had been notified in advance of this, they could have whitelisted, you know, essentially made sure that the, the, the copy box weren't switched on for the, the stream. But... Uh, the World Crown, World Con crowd are saying that they did notify them, and that there has there the, the term miscommunication is being used a lot. <laughs> um, and as John Scalzi, who was the Toastmaster, he has said that if if Ustream had any cop on, I'm using my own term here, yeah. um, they would uh, comp 
Worldcon, next year's Worldcon, a free upgrade to their premium broadcast as a as an apology for this very silly state of affairs. No word from Ustream on that yet. <laughs> the CEO, sorry, the CEO Brad Hunstable yeah. has listed something of an apology. Now, I actually found it a it's bit just an explanation than yeah. an apology. Well, an explanation you... and apology are two very different things. It was an explanation, but it was one laced with sort of disingenuous attempts to make himself likable. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to like overstate this, but I, I'm just going to quote this. But I, I thought it was very odd. Uh, on Sunday night, the Hugo Awards are streaming live on Ustream. The Hugos are like the Academy Awards for science fiction. Now, number one, <laughs> who are you talking to? He, he sort of he seems to be in trying to anticipate uh, some journo who's sitting in front of his computer typing this down. Very unfortunately, at 7.43pm Pacific Time, the channel was automatically banned in the middle of an acceptance speech by author Neil Gaiman due to copyright infringement in inverted commas. This occurred because our third-party automated infringement system, Vobile, detected content in the stream that it deemed to be copyrighted. So he's, he's pushed the responsibility onto Vobile. Mm. Vobile is a system that writes holders upholder content for review on many video sites around the web. The video clips shown prior to Neil's speech automatically triggered the third-party system at the behest of the copyright holder. So, once again, the suggestion is, while Ustream may have been aware uh, that permission had been sought, the copyright holder's rights are above that. That this is more important. It's, it's an automatic behavior on the part of the bot. The killer for me is the next line. As a long-time Firefly, Stargate, and Game of Thrones fan, among others, I'm especially disheartened by this. <laughs> he's he's showing us his nerd cred to make us make him seem more sympathetic to us. That's yeah, I I don't know about you. I just find that very disingenuous myself. And just own up to it. I mean, take responsibility. You provide a service. This occurred. And Scalzi, who is I'm beginning to understand to be one of the most right-thinking authors out there. He always seems to be on the right oh, side. Of he's 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 a fairly right-on dude. But his suggestion is actually quite a valid one. You know, make uh, if you really want to get public opinion on your side, offer reparation of some kind that could make amends for this. So yeah, the premium service will be because I think some of the cost breakdown of uh, actually using this service. It's it's quite expensive for a one-off event. It, yeah, it assumes that you're broadcasting something every week or every month. It's not really the 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 payment method is um, a per month thing. So it it doesn't it isn't really organized in such a way that you would find it useful for something that's shown. Uh, well, not not once a year. They actually show the nominees as well. So it would be twice a year. So. I mean that that in itself might even be a niche that they might consider moving into. Um, would be you know once off event payment. Um, yep. but you know now I'm starting to try and create my own software empire. So uh, <laughs> you know I, uh, I assume you three know what they're doing from a payment point of view. <laughs> well, uh, as it happens, you are yourself a voter for the Hugo's. Uh, Voter and nominee, yes. So this is the most exciting time of year. The Hugos are over, Mm. so now it's time to start thinking about nominations. (laughs) And nominations, they're my absolute favourite part of the Hugos because it's all about my influence over the readers 
of science fiction and fantasy in the world, right? Just in case you think I'm exaggerating. One of the great things about Worldcon is that they always release the statistics of the, the nominating ballots and the, the voting ballots. Uh, so you can you can just sit down and do all the maths behind everything and, it, well, okay, it makes me happy. <laughs> but they've, so they've released the nomination and the voting ballots for this year's Hugos. And if you look at the best novel category, mm-hmm. for nominating, so for getting on the ballot, you know how there were five items on the ballot, right? The cutoff between the the lowest number of nominations for Leviathan Wakes, which received 71 nominations, mm-hmm. The one that just missed out on the ballot was The Quantum Thief by uh, Hanu Rajaniemi. I cannot understand that. That's an incredible book. 70 ballots. That's only two people voting would have made the difference between The Quantum Thief being on the ballot and not. That should have been me. I should have been a voter. (laughs) You could be that person. You could control what Neil Gaiman reads in 2013. For just a low, low price of fifty American dollars. <laughs> uh, do you know what, Carol? Do you know what I do? I think I'd vote Kelly Link for every category. <laughs> to just, drive me insane. Just to just to irritate you. <laughs> and also, I find that Neil Gaiman seems to be quite ahead of the curve in terms of reading up and coming authors. He, he <laughs> he's he's getting all the manuscripts from the publishing house directly, so he can give them one of his lovely little blurbs. That is the one of the things that that people find intimidating about the the nomination process, which mm. is they feel that oh I haven't read enough to be worthy of nominating in this category. You know, if I've only read two new novels, as in novels written in 2012, mm. you know, what what right do I have to put them forward as the best novels mm. in in that category? And the response to that is, don't be silly. You know, the only way any of us find out about the novels is if someone sits down and nominates for them. If Mm. you read something and you enjoyed it or you thought it was good, the two things are not necessarily synonymous, put it on the ballot and then let the rest of us decide if we agree with you or not. You know, Mm. personally, what I find the most challenging every year is trying to remember what the hell I read. So being a, a crazy OCD person, I actually have a little, uh, you know, Google Drive document where whenever I read something or watch something, you know, that I know is eligible, that was okay. I go, right, ooh, stick it in the thing because you are not going to remember in March of 2013. <laughs> but that's, slightly, that's for people who are slightly OCD and have a very bad memory. <laughs> So you know that's that's my pro tip for that subculture out there of uh, of of amnesiac OCD people. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to get involved, if you want to stir the consensus towards high quality genres, <laughs> <laughs> get in there. Uh, put your name forward and just throw in some titles. And I think I think it's an excellent suggestion because uh, very often you look at the results of these shows and you go. Half these books I haven't even heard of. I always, I always am suspicious of some of these ballot forms and ballot titles. I'm always suspicious that somebody's just 
gone for some obscure book and thrown it in there and everyone else is going, I, I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. So I'll, I'll put a tick beside it because I don't want to vote for Doctor Who again. I'm wondering, that's my, that's my theory, but I could be wrong on that. Well, that, that may be for the voting, but for the nomination, it's literally just whatever you write down. Um, so, but what some people find confusing is what you can nominate people, what categories you can nominate people in. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in something other than, say, best novel or best novelette or that kind of thing. So, let's say I wanted to nominate you, Emmett, mm-hmm. in a category. I could nominate you in the category of best fan writer. Mm-hmm. Because you write on science fiction and fantasy on the Moments Report. I can nominate you in the new category. Uh, this is its second year of best fan cast for this podcast. And I can also nominate, I, I believe that I can also nominate the Momus Report as a whole, the website itself, in the category of best fanzine. Now, that's a bit of a complicated one. People tend to argue over whether... Yeah, semi-pro, fanzine, all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. let's not get into that one. Uh, And if you enjoy... No, not semi-prozine, but whether a a blog counts as a fanzine Uh, or not. A little bit. But SF Signal won this year. So... (laughs) (laughs) The consensus seems to be, yes, you can. (laughs) So, you know, there's, there's a number of ways. If there's someone out there that you that you enjoy reading or listening to or um, whose work you've enjoyed in in a, something other than the best novel way, there's a number of ways that you can uh, nominate them. But then, of course, how do you let people know that this person is worthy of also being nominated? Because as the Dr. Hugh approach showed, when you have a scattered fan base, it's quite tricky. There is a, a, a live journal community called uh, I think it's Hugo Nominations mm-hmm. which tell the community about things that they intend to nominate and then also John Scalzi every year around March before the nominations close runs a thread a number of threads on whatever where you can tell people about what you intend to nominate or if you're eligible in certain categories so that's a way of bringing the scattered community attention on uh, books and blogs and that kind of thing it's all it's all a bit complicated but it's the best system we got Emma. <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it carl i think i'll take it <laughs> very good all right well listen i think we'll uh call it a day for now and we'll just keep our eye on the ballots for next year i'm i think i'm gonna sign up i'm gonna sign up and throw some yay i'm, I'm gonna throw some obscure stuff in, in there and see how it flies <laughs> Vote early and vote often. There you go. All right. And if people are looking to find you, Carol, where can they? Irish Hat Girl on Twitter. And I'm on there as E-M-M-E-T-O-C underscore. Or you can always find me, of course, on the momusreport.blogspot.com.au. And we are also on iTunes now. So do please uh, have a listen there uh, on your morning time commute and uh, drop us a little review. We'd much, very much appreciate it. So I think that's all we've got time for. Everyone, enjoy your work, and we'll talk to you again soon.